Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit learner.co. That's learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the learner.co show. Today we have Justin Jackson. He's the co-founder of Transistor. John and Greg, what are you excited to, well, I guess, not really learn, I guess, from Justin, because we've all known him for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years at this point. So what are you hoping we talk with Justin today? Well, this is going to be a fun episode because it's a bit of a re reunion. Uh, we all worked with Justin for years, uh, so all the listeners should know that. And um, Justin has become quite the well-known indie developer, and he's got uh, a pretty big following of people who follow his um, his 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 bootstrap story. Um, and he's very mm. open um, in various ways about about his journey. Uh, starting a an indie bootstrap company, and he's been very successful with it. So I'm excited to hear it, to catch up. And you know, I got to be honest. Even though I've known Justin, actually, probably the longest of the three of us, he is the kind of guy who's a lifelong, true lifelong learner. And there's always something that I'll pick up from talking to Justin. So I will for sure learn something today. And he is also just sort of raw energy. So it is quite fun to talk to Justin. So his, uh, his, his internet following is quite deserved. I also find what I always find fascinating about Justin is he's very much a trial and error type person where he's willing to just like try one thing. If it oh, yeah. doesn't work, I can keep iterating on that. And I think that's always been kind of really inspiring to me from just like watching him as he's become, well, I don't know, internet famous or whatever, however you want to call it. Um, <laughs> right. Like just the, and how he's kind of like, he tried to hack getting articles on the top of like hacker news. And then, you know, he, he figured out how to do that. And then once he figured out that he was like doing that with other things. And I always kind of find that fascinating. Yeah. This is pretty cool. For sure, no. Yeah, this uh, is going to be fun. All right. On with the show. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey. We were, we were having yeah. a little reunion here. Cause... Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, Greg and John are also going to join on this episode because the four of us have actually worked together for a number of years, and, and we've all known each other for, geez, yeah. what, 10, 15-plus years? Yeah. And the last time I worked with anybody... Uh, physically like in the same space was with you guys. I haven't worked I'm with not. anybody in the same space since, uh, since we worked together. Wild. And that's what, yeah. like six, seven years, eight years ago, maybe. Uh, I, I went remote in 2012 okay, and then w left that team in 2014. Right. So yeah. So working with me, Drove you away from ever wanting to work with anyone else again. <laughs> well done. It was quite the transformation. Yeah. Talking about things I've learned. Yeah. Just to get, <laughs> get out of the office. No, there's actually times I, there's actually, a, there's benefits to having a remote team. Like this company that I co-founded with uh, John Buddha for a long time, 
well, still to this day, he's in Chicago and I'm in uh, Vernon, British Columbia. And there's advantages to having a team like that, but there is uh, something about working alongside people in the same space that's that's good too. There's definitely trade-offs there. It's not it's not an easy uh, one is better than the other. It really depends. Well, well you've and done you have to both work a lot harder. Yeah, but you've done both, and you've worked obviously together, and and you've built a startup together and apart. What are the pros yeah. and cons of that? Uh, I mean, I think for I think for bootstrapping a, a a product, there there's a lot of benefits to doing it remote if you have a pretty good partner and a pretty good connection with that partner. And if you start like from the beginning, I didn't want to move to Chicago. John didn't want to move here, so it was clear we we were going to have to work that way. So it was kind of baked in to what we were doing. Uh, the hard part is that your communication has to be way better uh sure. so the what i've learned in that case is and i'm still not great at this uh i need to have a phone call with john every week for the relationship to be in a good place okay and leave that too long in the same way with your significant other um uh, if you if you don't communicate on right. a weekly daily basis it you can kind of gradually drift apart and i've we've definitely experienced that you drift apart and then it's like, man, like we are just not being nice to each other or we're getting into arguments about things. And it's because we don't have this like personal connection. And for me, especially I can just get into a zone where I'm oblivious to the fact that we haven't talked on the phone in like six weeks. It's just easy for me to keep going the way I'm going. I don't have like a natural um, alarm bell in my head that goes, oh, wait a second. Like, you really need to talk to this person. I, I just don't have that sense. So I've had to build it in as a, just a, a check mark. Like, did I, did John and I have a phone call this week? Did we talk about something uh, and try to initiate more of those, those calls? Uh, but I mean, there's lots of advantages too. Like we we have a really nice work life balance. Um, I get to live where I want to live. He gets to where he live where he wants to live, and it's made it easier for us to hire people because we're already used to working like this. And so, uh, Jason, our other employees in Ohio, and then Helen is in London, and uh, I feel like we've been able to like it, it, the team feels good. It feel the way we work together feels good, and. We certainly have a lot of autonomy. Like we, we have one meeting every week where we talk to each other. But other than that, everyone's just kind of working on their own thing. And uh, yeah, so far it's worked out okay. Cool. You know, so we know you on this podcast very well. But <laughs> for our listeners, let's get the let's get the background. Kevin, how, you you do this every time. You are great at the intro. <laughs> so you know, it's usually before we get to that. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear about like where you grew up and uh, where you went to school. Okay. I grew up in uh, Stony Plain, Alberta, little town yeah. west of Edmonton. It was little when I was growing up there. When I was growing up there, it was like a dusty agriculture town. Uh, my high school was like 75% cowboy hats. 
and were you one uh, of those cowboy hats no oh <laughs> no i was in i was in the i was in the, i was in the uh the 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 minority that got uh picked on for sure there's there's like the punk rock kids and then the cowboys and i was a punk rock kid uh but yeah grew up in stony plain went to school there and um uh, took french immersion Graduated in 1998. What else do you want to know? <laughs> oh, and then I, 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 I went to Edmonton for college. So I, uh, yeah, went to business school, basically. Got my degree in business management. Didn't you own a skate shop, too, at one oh, point? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've done a bunch of things. So uh, once I graduated, once I'd finished my first two years of, well, let's back up. Uh, I start my first business was in grade twelve. I was okay. I ran some raves in Stony Plain, and <laughs> uh, basically missed out on a lot of grade twelve just skipping class so I could organize <laughs> these events. And uh, they did really well. So I had my first kind of taste of entrepreneurship in high school. And then in college, I ran my own uh, web design and like wedding video business okay. and I did that all through school and then once I was in university I started working for a nonprofit that works with teenagers and during that time I did that for eight years but during that time I on the side I started a two snowboard shops with my brother and a friend the friend that helped me with those rave businesses <laughs> and uh I learned a lot there. We can talk about that later, but we ran these two shops for four or five years. And then they closed 2005. I lasted two or three more years with the nonprofit and then really didn't know what I was gonna do after that. And had like told a few people I was quitting and then I got a call from Greg, uh, <laughs> which, in retrospect, like I've actually thought about that a lot because I was like applying for jobs and like I, I applied to be a salesperson for a window and door manufacturing company, which I would have truly been awful. But I, the you would have crushed the, at it, though. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> it would have been soul crushing, too, I think. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I had this. It would have double edged I've, sword there for sure. I've had this thought a lot about like we're all we all know about the glass ceiling, which is like, you can see opportunity above you, but you can't get there because there's a glass ceiling. I think that part of my life, I had like a shrouded ceiling. I didn't know what was possible. Like I didn't know what opportunities exist because I just hadn't been exposed to them. So my, like once, like the reason I started a snowboard shop is because those were the only businesses I could see around me in Stony Plain. Like the people who ran businesses were on Main Street. That's all there was. I didn't know anybody, even though I'd been into computers since I was a kid, I didn't know anybody that had like a computer business or an right. internet business or a software business. And so when I was applying for jobs, like I think if I hadn't, if I'd taken any of those jobs, I wouldn't be where I am today. But because Greg called me, and introduced me to this whole world of 
internet startups and technology and software and even just the way we worked as a team like that was all so new to me and it really opened up this shrouded ceiling now i could see what was possible what was um what was out there and um it had a big impact on my life so when i i got involved in tech in 2008 when i started working with all of you and then um that I've been working in tech ever since and basically in SaaS and software as a service uh, since then. So yeah, did work with Mailout for till 2014, I think. And then started doing some consulting for some startups in Portland and San Francisco. And then in started releasing my own products probably around that time and then started working with John on Transistor in 2018. So almost 10 years after I started working with you guys, I eventually uh, was building and running my own software company. Interesting. And then you guys met through Young Life, right? Was that that yeah. job? Yeah, okay. That yeah. team job you mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg? And I do have to interject, I because the reason you got that call, and I was I was upset about it at the time was because I I didn't want to poach you as an employee. I was like, this guy, <laughs> this guy seems like he would be awesome to work with. Like he's into computers. He's very I saw some of your work that you yeah. done in that. Like, okay, this is really cool how he structured these things. He's very thoughtful on this part and great energy, all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, Justin would be amazing to work with. So I I told your boss, our mutual friend. If yeah. he ever leaves, you call me that day because I want to <laughs> hire him. I want to work with Justin. Uh, and he didn't call me that day. I was so mad. Like, uh, you can't let him get out of <laughs> I do remember that phone call was odd because like I had just had this kind of like soul crushing week where I was applying at different places. If anyone's ever had to apply for jobs, it's just like if you if you have oh, yeah. if they don't know who you are, it's just soul crushing. You're just like a resume in a stack of resumes. And so I'd applied at different places and I was just kind of like sitting around my house and I got that call from you and you're like, Hey, did you quit young life? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, did you find a job yet? And I'm like, no. And you're like, yes. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. Well, there's some, might be something here. So yeah, it was a big deal. And it's one of the reasons I've been so focused on um, wanting to build in public and share stuff on podcasts and on a blog and in a newsletter and uh, on Twitter or wherever. Because I think the challenge most people have is they just don't know what they don't know. Totally. And as soon as you have a sense of what's possible, um, it, it can change your life. Like it really changed my life to know about this whole world. And um it turns out that uh i was well suited for it but i i would have never known if if i hadn't been given the opportunity and if i hadn't been shown like hey here's what's possible here's what's happening here here's how this is different here's what we've figured out in this industry that the rest of the world is just catching up to and um you know i i, I especially feel that around business because the you know what i've learned about business the the most kind of crucial moments have been people who run businesses taking me aside and saying hey like let me open up the window for you and show you 
how this really works or what it really looks like. And uh, I think if more people understood that, if more people could see what was possible, uh, more people would be doing it. More people would be starting businesses, more people would be building products, more people would be uh, you know, trying to do things um, with eyes wide open, like understanding this is what's possible, but here's also what's hard about it. And uh, that's just a life-changing thing. Once you experience it, once you have generous people that are willing to open up the, the, the window and show you inside. Just, I, I think that's fantastic that you are, are like that, that you want to share that back. You know, you've, <laughs> you've had that learning this, this sort of acknowledgement or this realization, and then you want to share it with others. I think that's so cool. Um, and the way that you do it though, you being so public, it, there's quite a bit of vulnerability there <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, most people I mean, you talk about business owners, I mean, oftentimes as a business owner, it's actually really a lonely space in a weird way because mm -hmm. there's a feeling like there's things that you cannot share um, mm -hmm. or at least the perception of that. And whether it, and you've really pushed the boundary of that for probably for a lot of people to say, hey, actually, you can share a lot of these things that you would that other people would never imagine sharing. Uh, yeah. And it's like, where does that where does that come from or how do you get to that place? Uh, I mean, part of it was modeled for me. Like, I think you guys at Mailout did that quite a bit um, in terms of uh, being transparent about, you know, what it was like to run the business. And um, even uh, like our numbers were fairly transparent. We didn't share it publicly, but it, within the team, you know, there was a lot of that transparency. And then starting the podcast had a big impact on me because on a podcast, you're in the space where you're really talking to people in a, a personal, relational way, and they're opening up to you, but it's recorded. And uh, people were sharing stuff with me on this podcast that I started in 2012 that really opened my eyes. And sometimes, you know, they would say stuff off the record before or after, but that whole experience of having people share you know, I was curious and I was okay with being earnestly curious. Like, how does this work? What is it really like? What's really going on? Um, and then having people generously go, well, here, let me show you. And then eventually some of those connections turned into friendships. And then there was even a, a uh, deeper sense of vulnerability and intimacy where they were literally willing to show me their bank accounts and say, you know, this is what we're doing. And it was, uh, I became friends with Adam, uh, Adam Wavin and Taylor Otwell. And it was specifically those two opening up their bank accounts and showing me like what kind of sales volume they were doing that really helped me to understand this thing I talk a lot about, which is market first, that the most important decision you'll ever make is which market you go into and what are the shape, what is the, what are the dynamics and the, the shape of that market? What is the dynamics of that product category? What is the shape of demand in that product category? And yeah, if they hadn't been willing to show me that stuff, uh, I don't know if I would have had that realization as, as strongly. And once I realized that, I that that became kind of like the 
lens through which I looked at business opportunities. And it was Transistor was the first opportunity that came along that kind of fit that criteria of market first, meaning there's already a sizable number of people buying in this market. Every day, people wake up and search for best podcast hosting or podcast hosting, or how do I start a podcast? And a lot of those searches are with intent to buy. And once I could see that, I didn't know how successful we would be, but I had a pretty good sense that there was something there and that it was worth pursuing. Um, so yeah, that's been huge. And then when we started, I wanted to, in some ways, really demonstrate as, as long as we could what this was like, what it felt like to be in a market where there's just this kind of rushing flow of demand where you're riding the wave. You're not trying to artificially create demand. You're not trying to artificially create like people wanting the product. It's just already there and you're riding the wave. And so we made a decision for the first, I think the first $30,000 of monthly recurring revenue we were transparent with all of our financials. You could go on uh, on a website and see all of our numbers. And then we talked about it, like how we were building the company every week on our podcast, just John and I, including like what struggles we were having. Like mm -hmm. there, was a there was a time where, you know, I John is working full time for Cards Against Humanity. And so he his day was like, he'd go to work for like, eight or nine hours a day, come home exhausted, and then have to code at night. I had already gone independent. I had some of my own products, but I was like just spending all my time on Transistor. And so my challenge was like keeping enough money going in the door with my other stuff <laughs> while building this new thing that wasn't making any money yet. And you can hear some of that tension in the episodes. Like there's episodes where he's like burnt out and just not doing good in terms of his time and energy. And I'm feeling the pressure, the money pressure, like, and I'm like, you've got four like, kids. <laughs> yeah, I've got four kids. I'm like, and, yeah. and it, it kind of comes to this time where like, you know, my spouse is like going like, okay, like you've been working on this for, you know, a good eight months. Like, when do we see the money? When do we see the payout, you know? Um, and so that's when we were like considering venture capital and all these other things. But again, we wanted to be transparent about it. We didn't want to have this boring like uh, sheen of public politeness. We just wanted to get down to the nitty gritty. Like if we're going to explore what it means to take on investment, I want to know what's that like mm -hmm. and what is what are we giving up? And so we did a bunch of on air interviews with some venture capitalists and you know, ask them tough questions and, um, and, you know, really kind of w was able to, I think, sift away a lot of the, the noise and get some signal. Like this is kind of what it means for a company of our size and all those things. So yeah, it's been it, that, that journey of sharing that stuff was, was really helpful to a point, you know, like after we got to about $30,000 in, monthly revenue. Then it was like our competitors were looking at our financials all the time uh, and it gave them an unfair advantage against us. Mm -hmm. And so 
eventually we decided to to shut that down um, because I think also a lot of the value in terms of people learning, like the hardest thing is really going from zero to 10,000 in monthly revenue or zero to 30 or whatever. Um, and at 30, that's when we kind of started paying ourselves like full time, quote unquote. And so it was like, okay, this is a, this is a reasonable time to, to stop being transparent about that. Mm -hmm. And actually you could describe then uh, like, was there sort of also a feeling that was associated with that time? Cause I've, I, I've, I've had that, had that feeling where you hit a certain point and mm. uh, John and I had it with mail out. I think you had that too. I had it with GSnet. Uh, yeah. When you kind of just know, like, oh, it's going to oh, be Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's, I mean, on one hand, I think when you own a business, you always have a baseline anxiety of yeah. <laughs> uh, like, really, most of my personal wealth is a number on paper that's all in transistor and the only way i can really um take a significant amount of money off the table and kind of truly be uh <laughs> you know secure in that way is if we sell and we won't know what that looks like until we get an offer and then sell right but on the other hand i remember i think we paid me first. So it was like, John was still working full time. And he said, Justin, we got to pay you something. He's like, what if we just write you a $5,000 check every month? And I remember like 5,000 was significantly less than I had been making before, but just knowing that I had this 5,000 that was there every month, mm -hmm. I just, my stress just, and it really meant I could stop kind of flailing with all these other projects I had, um, I could just stop flailing and I could just kind of rest because I knew that it was gonna be 5,000 this month and that we would increase it every month after. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I my dad came and visited and he said, uh, he's like, Justin, I've never seen you this calm and chill. Like you're just, this I've never seen you like this because I was in, I, you know, I wanted to make it so badly um, as a business owner that there's there can be this like manic just flailing like, OK, I'm going to. And often what we do in those times, I did this with the skateboard shop, too. It's kind of one of the negative signs is you just keep adding more things on top. So like with the skateboard shop, it was like, OK, well, skateboards isn't enough. So let's add snowboards snowboards isn't enough so let's add shoes that's not enough so let's add apparel well this is not enough so let's add another store this still isn't kind of working so let's add a skateboard ramp and start charging for that it's still not working so let's start a magazine and you just keep starting and adding more things and when i was went independent and started selling my own stuff i had this course that was doing really well but it wasn't enough to like just sustain me on its own i had to always be adding more stuff or doing more launches or and it, it becomes like this kind of manic flailing that especially once you've disconnected yourself from regular employment or uh consulting there's just this like okay well i can't go back to that so i just have to keep trying more and more things to make this thing work 
Mm. And uh, it was just so calming to finally had like this one thing that was working and it was growing at like in the early days, like we would grow 70% some months over the pre wow. and it was just like, whoa. And the calming effect of that. And it was like, when John gave me that first 5,000 from the company, it was like, when we decided I would get that, it was like, wow, like, okay, that's a pretty significant part of this month's revenue. And then, so that was April, May, June, July, August of 2019. We had grown so much that we could pay him and me about $100,000 a year. And so it just, it was growing exponentially at that point. And by the time he came on um, and we're both at about 100, it was like, wow, like this is like, unbelievable and you know and then in the months after that it just became more and more margin and like what it meant for me personally it was like i paid off a big loan uh, <laughs> you know like it just it just happened and in some ways like the joy of running a company now we just did a year in review with one of our staff and they told us uh, the end of last year, we were able to give a pretty big profit sharing bonus. And, and one of our team members said they were able to pay off all their student loans because of that. And that's just wow. incredible. It's just like the, the best feeling um, ever. So yeah. Again, it's one of the reasons I think I'm passionate about this idea of the market. It's the market that determines so much of your success, because I think talented individuals can create enough of their own hype to kind of like create this machine that runs. But the difference is you're always pouring in more fuel. You're always like just you have to feed the beast so much more. But market first, this idea that the market is going to drive most of your success, when you're able to rely on that, it now there's things that can happen to the market. There's tons of things out of your control. But most of the potential, most of the ceiling is in the market. And when it's really going well for indie business owners, it's a it's a very different feeling than you know, being where I've been with like consulting, it's like, shit, I need to find someone to let me build them a website for $3,000 because we, <laughs> you know, we got to pay a mortgage. It, it, it's very much like a lot of that, a lot of small business is, uh, is, uh, is hand to mouth. Uh, a yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, eat what you kill is another one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, very, it, it's yeah. very, it's very, it's very eat what you kill. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, there is this other just like there's the shroud the, the 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 shrouded ceiling like people often don't know what they don't know the only business people they see are freelancers that are struggling every month they got to like okay i got to bring in this client and then i got it and there's no margin in those businesses meaning there's no it, it doesn't give you a bigger payoff for your time for your energy for your the what you've invested it doesn't start rolling on its own. And I think when you are able to ride 
the built-in energy of a wave, a market wave, it's a, just an entirely different feeling. And to your point, Greg, when you feel it, you really feel it. It's just like, wow. Like mm -hmm. at the beginning, all of Transistor's customers were people on my newsletter or from Twitter or from things that, you know, our first 100, 200 customers were like that. And then like three or four months later, we started getting customers that were just, had no idea who I was, had no idea who John was. They were just finding us on the internet, literally after typing in, how do I start a podcast or podcast hosting? And they landed on our website, signed up for a trial and then became customers. And it was just this, this idea that this is just happening. No matter what I'm doing, every morning people are going to wake up in the same way that every morning people wake up and go line up at Starbucks. Like <laughs> Starbucks has to do some marketing. Yeah. Stay top on top of mind. But you know, every single day, they don't have to do anything to convince people to drink coffee. That's already that desire is already built in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now yeah, yeah. all they have to do is direct that momentum to their stores. That's the marketing piece. That's the the strategy piece, that's the operations piece. Um, but every single morning, people are going to wake up and they're going to make their way to a Starbucks and uh, line up to buy that coffee. And uh, the there are lots of product categories that are like that, where the category has been created and there's tons of opportunity within that category without creating something that is super innovative and new and, you know, like flying, sure, flying to Mars and starting a colony there, that's, that's new, that's innovative. But like 99.9% .9 of business is in existing categories that already exist where there either is momentum or there isn't. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've, we've been certainly, some of this is on purpose and some of this is luck. And we've been fortunate to, that Transistor worked out in this way and really gave us an incredible life. Um, and it's the first time in all the things I've ever tried with business, it's the first time where something has really had this kind of underlying momentum. And mm -hmm. I've been able to feel the pull of that energy. And when you experience it, it's just like, it's there's just nothing like it. It is it is exhilarating and uh, and then your desire becomes not how can I generate demand, but how can I just ride this wave of demand the yeah. best way possible? And it's it's super fun. Like it's scary too, because you realize how many things are outside of your control. <laughs> yeah, like Netflix lost 700,000 subscribers uh, this past month uh, because of sanctions. That's completely out of their control. And I would say Netflix is in a great category. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it has lots of benefits to it. But one thing they probably couldn't have foreseen is that in their market, uh, that, you know, there's always geopolitical events can affect any market. And, you know, that's what happened there. Interesting. Now, I, I, I actually think that's that's really good advice. But how did you pick the idea for Transistor and what exactly is it? I know you kind of quickly covered it, but I think we should at least dive deeper into what it is. Sure. 
So uh, podcast hosting is similar to web hosting. So in the same way that Squarespace provides web hosting for anyone who wants to start a website, we provide podcast hosting for anyone who wants to start a podcast. And unlike YouTube, podcasting is not centralized. So every podcast you've ever pushed play on, uh, including this one, is hosted somewhere. So when you click play on Apple Podcasts, that MP3 is not on Apple. It is on a web server somewhere uh, that's being run by a podcast hosting company. And um, there were a few things at the time, a few touchstones that, again, I didn't know for sure that this was going to work, but there were a few things that, you know, using these new lenses I was looking at in terms of like, where's the market momentum that gave me the idea that there was something there. So the first is that I've been podcasting since 2012 and I've been listening to podcasts since 2008. And so the, I had been in the water kind of swimming or, or if we're going to use the surfing analogy, I was at the beach. I was at the beach. I was watching waves come in. I was watching people surf in those waves. And uh, I was kind of close to the action. And over time, you know, like people, when I was running my podcast, I would have people approach me all the time and say, hey, I've got an idea for a podcasting product. And for a lot of years, my response was, ah, I wouldn't get into podcasting because it's mostly hobbyists who are very DIY <laughs> and don't let's, like spending money. It was like, it felt like a bad market. But over time, I saw that the tide started to shift. So first of all, more and more people were starting podcasts. Right. More and more people I knew were starting podcasts. And then there were a few podcasting companies. I met Josh from Zencaster. He does podcast recording software. And I was asking him, I was like, where do you, like, how is this working? Like, where are you getting your customers? And he's like, oh, well, there's just tons of lawyers that are starting a podcast. There's tons of accountants. There's tons of churches. There's tons of, and he was able to kind of show me that the market was bigger than what I could see in my little bubble. It wasn't just, you know, nerdy, technologists starting podcasts, mm -hmm, totally. there's actually a, a bigger group. And so, you know, there's that touchstone. Um, even like the coffee shop test, which is when I was in line at a coffee shop, what did I hear people talking about? Uh, I became way more observant of and interested and curious in, you know, why people do things, why people buy, why people choose one thing over the other. And so I just had my ears open for that stuff all the time. And then when I'm in line at the coffee shop, it used to be that people were talking about what it transitioned. At first it was like, what apps are you installing on your iPhone? Yeah. And then it became, what show are you watching on Netflix? And then I remember the first day I heard someone say, Hey, what podcasts are you listening to? I was like, what? Like normals are listening to podcasts it was yeah. like it was just this like this moment like, hey listener what? you're okay is what that means you just got you just got affirmation you're all right <laughs> you're you're now normal yeah it's yeah. been but it just it surprised me and um and then my sister my youngest sister called me and she said uh you know this is probably 2017 and she said Hey Justin, I've just discovered something called podcast. Have you ever heard of podcast? I was like, <laughs> Emma, I've been doing a podcast for years. Didn't you know about this? <laughs> uh, 
so so you know it started to the 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 listener base started to grow and then in 2017 or 2018 i think it was 2017 for the first time the number of americans who had listened to a podcast in the previous month uh clipped over 50 percent at 51 percent. so it had kind of tipped the scales into the broader public consciousness interesting and uh serial had had a uh had had a big year you know the yeah. podcast yeah and so it's all building up and then there was also the thing like when i was asking myself like when john john told me in 2017 he had previously built a podcast hosting provider called uh uh simplecast oh, and yeah that didn't that didn't work out uh for him and then you know he ended up getting a job and the fact that he was considering it again was interesting and the kind of what made him start working on it was that cards against humanity was launching a company podcast that's who he worked for and john said oh, i would love to just build that for you and when he told me that i'd been kind of tracking all this stuff in the space and again like it's just it's so many layers and touch points it's hard to communicate at all but I was on, I was in every podcasting forum. I was in every podcasting, you know, subreddit. I was in the water or I was on the beach. Like I could see the waves and I could see there was a big wave coming and becoming more and more, it was becoming more and more clear that if I get on my surfboard and paddle out to, for that wave, that might be a really good wave to get. Um, and so all of these things are coming in and I'm going, I think this, I think there's, this is the year where it could really, even if it, if the growth trajectory doesn't like increase dramatically, just the fact that it's now broken into the public consciousness, I think this is kind of an interesting year. And all of the players in the podcast hosting market were older. So there hadn't been yeah. a fresh face in a long time. And I think this like fresh face, um, like the being the new kid on the block and the opportunity to look at an old crusty category where there hasn't been anyone new in a while is such a massive opportunity because sometimes just by being the fresh face it's like we got a ton of customers from people who had just been waiting for something new yeah that's i've been I, i've been with these folks forever it's like oh finally someone new someone like who's building new software a new user experience new design someone who's thinking about this differently uh, and we benefited a lot from that. And so, yeah, all of that together made me feel like, I think this is a wave worth paddling out to try to catch. And I didn't know if we were going to be able to catch it, like the timing, just like catching a wave when you're surfing, like the timing plays into this. Uh, certainly our skills and resources and advantages were going to play into it. Certainly what all the other surfers, like the competition was doing on that wave was going to affect us. But, uh, I knew it wasn't a sure bet, but it just felt like of all the opportunities I saw, it was like, wow, we are really well suited for this wave. And it looks like this is something we should go after. No, I, I think that's really good advice. And it's it's interesting because like I hosted shows on other platforms before you even built Transistor. And mm -hmm. I didn't move to Transistor right away because it was like just laziness because of how much of a pain in the ass it was to update everything. And it was yeah. kind of a hobby, but yeah. I really wish 
I would have just done it earlier because of how much better Transistor is than all the other platforms I'm I, like I've tried in the past. And I'm not just obviously saying that because like I've known you forever. This but, is great. Let's just make the rest of the podcast no, just this, Kevin. I, I'm yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> perfect. But, <laughs> but the reality is, though, is like just you modernized it so much that I think yeah. your comp, like when you came in, you just had this like you you supported all the modern kind of things that people wanted from podcasting yeah. software, right out of the gate, where it was like I can't do this because my platform doesn't do this, or I had have to move to this other platform to get these three other features, but I'd lose these six other things that I was using. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you were just like the pros never outweighed the cons of actually moving to other platforms. Mm -hmm. And then when you guys built transistor, it was like, Oh, Justin added this, Justin added this. I really yeah. need this. And then I was like, Oh, I don't really want to spend the time doing it. And then finally you had all these features and then more that I was getting. And I was just like, okay, I need to suck it up and just do it and like rebrand yeah. and do the whole thing. And I was like, I have to move now, right? Yeah. Where it was interesting. And then obviously like my other shows on you guys and then this shows on Transistor and it's yeah. just been, it's been awesome. And it's cool to be able to talk to people like yourself that I'm actually using their product. Cause you know, as a podcaster, like you maybe tried their product and sometimes you use it after, but a yes. lot of times you don't, but like I've been, we've been using Transistor for God, couple years now or at least a year and a half I, I don't even know it's the last couple of years have been a blur but yeah yeah I mean this is another thing I think we learned is that the you know in some ways like my my opinions on building a business went from extreme to extreme so initially especially when I was doing everything on my own I was like it's all about my audience so I just need right. to get as many Twitter followers as I can as many people on my email newsletter, be as charismatic and as much of a public figure as I can. And my success will be directly uh, attributed to how many people know me. And then I went, once Transistor started having um, success outside of my audience, and I could see the power of just people seeking out a solution on their own, I almost went to the other extreme for a while. And I said, man, audience is nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't help mm -hmm. at all. And now I've come probably back to the middle, which is like really in business, just like surfing, just like anything else. Yes, the, the, you can't surf without a wave. So that is the one fundamental building block that you can't fake. If the market momentum's not there, if people aren't searching for a product like this or a solution like this already, it's yeah, going to be fair. so difficult to pull them along and get them to kind of come over to your side and do things the way that you want them to do them. Um, so the market momentum has to be there. There has to be an underlying movement in your category. But if that's a given, then everything else you bring to the table really does matter. <laughs> and, and the people who win are just stacking up all their strengths and advantages. So if you have an audience, yeah, that's going to help. If you have a lot of people that know you, if you have a good network, that's going to help. We got things like we were able to get into Spotify early before, uh, really before a lot of big players, because we had a connection. We knew somebody that worked there. Yeah, it's awesome. got us in first. 
if you have a bunch of money in the bank, that's going to help. If you've got, um, if you're really good at technology and building product, that's going to help. Right. And um, stacking all of those advantages became, you know, the way that we rode the wave. It was like, how are we going to ride this wave better than people who have been riding it forever? Well, we're going to, you know, we're product people. We, we didn't come from the podcasting industry. We came as product people who really understood what it takes to build a good product. And that was our key focus. Like, no, it's got to be fast. No, that I'm going to spend a week optimizing our uh, page speed on our marketing site because this has to load quick. And our competitors, it takes 30 seconds to load the page. Everything's got to be quick. Everything's got to be usable. Let's make this better than the competition in terms of product. And um, that really helped. It really helped because it became one of those reasons that people were willing to, to switch over. You know, it's not like just because the market exists doesn't mean that, you know, you're automatically going to win it. All the skills, knowledge, experience, resources, connections that you have accrued to this point are, that's what you then are going to use in order to compete. And um, all of that stuff, it like bounces off each other. It amplifies each other. You know, one thing magnifies another, like the fact that I have an audience certainly magnifies some of our actions, right? Right. And there's a there's a risk there too. All of these things have risks, right? Like every time I'm, every time I get political on Twitter, my business partner's like, eh, just be careful. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that, that makes sense. But but we're kind of coming to the end. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Transistor, and any other links you want to mention? Sure. Uh, if they're interested in this like market momentum stuff, I've written a ton about it on my blog, justinjackson.ca. Uh, for the time being, I'm on Twitter. Who knows? That might change, but I'm going to get there. banned. <laughs> I, I might get banned or I, I may decide to, <laughs> to uh, leave voluntarily. Uh, but I'm there at M I Justin, the letter M, the letter I Justin, which <laughs> actually has, I started that Twitter account when I was at Mailout Interactive. So M I is Mailout Interactive. And Where that's we all work. Yep. where we all worked i thought initially yep. i thought i was just gonna be tweeting about would... mail out interacting stuff technically you guys own all my tweets yeah <laughs> yes we no, do yeah, yeah. no we don't <laughs> <laughs> wait uh, can we edit that out kevin can we go back <laughs> no we don't <laughs> you sold the company you don't care <laughs> yeah. right okay yeah okay and um yeah if people want to start a podcast transistor.fm uh, we're on live chat all the time. So if you have questions, just open that live chat window and usually John or myself or Helen, Jason will answer. You actually do answer. Cause I've reached out a couple of times and I think I've got you both a couple of times we've chatted yeah. on there. So yeah, it's our, it's another one of our secret weapons that the CEO of Libsyn is not doing that. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. You're right. Well, and the fact that you actually get back to people, cause like a lot of times that chat just. We'll email you back, oh, yeah. and then like mm -hmm. forty-eight hours later, you still don't ever reply. From that was people's. a big thing that we did together. You know, all yes. of us. At, you know, at, when we we're doing mail out, was customer service, right? I mean, yeah, huge thing. learning. I mean, again, this is iterative. So, 
Sorry, Kevin. This is yeah, the yeah. extended edition. Yeah, it's but... going to keep going. Yeah, whatever. I keep, uh, I'm fine. The... Keep going. You have. I just try to be respectful of your hour. Keep the, going. the first day I was at Mailout, Greg handed me the phone and told me to call our customers. And I remember, like, I was like, well, first of all, I really didn't want to do that. It was super uncomfortable. Uh, and the <laughs> fact that from the first day, Mailout had such a customer-centric culture, we all answered the phone, was huge. And so when I came to Transistor, it's one of those things that I argued with John about. I'm like, we, we have to be, we, maybe not answering phones, but I, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have to be there. You have to be able to reach us. And real time, being able to answer questions in real time for people is such yeah. a huge advantage. Not just from the customer service standpoint, but um, I learned, especially from John, like John would get so much information from people on the phone, like understanding mm -hmm. who they were, what they were trying to achieve. John took me on some sales, um, like in-person sales meetings. And that just blew my mind. Because again, I didn't want, I didn't really want to do that. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, we got to go see customers. And then the first time we went, it was just like uh, life-changing because you realize once you're in their world, you actually see what they're trying to accomplish. You get all of the nuance of their jobs and their life and what they're there, what they're trying to do and where your product fits in. And it's, it's information about the customer that nobody else gets. And so I think um, I have this saying that really is just born out of my experience at Mailout and subsequent experiences, which is um, whoever understands the customer the best wins. That's how it works. And the, the, the best way to understand a customer is to listen to them, to be in their world, to actually do phone calls with them, to actually uh, ask questions uh, and not leading questions, but a questions that allow you to observe how they're doing things, why they're doing things, what is the job to be done? Why are they hiring a product like this at all? And so, you know, uh, like a sales call, with John afterwards, we're going down in the elevator and he's just like, so you get a sense of like when they're hiring email newsletter software, it's not just so they can send a newsletter. This is like so that they can impress their boss. This is so that they can feel good about their work. This is so that they can feel creative. Like often when they were using the email newsletter software, it was the only time they were allowed to be creative. It was like, for them, it was like building a PowerPoint presentation and just the fun of putting something together and getting to create something at work is a huge job to be done. And you just don't get any of that information uh, if you're not listening and if you're not in a place where you can listen. So yeah, that stuff's huge. Uh, yeah, I think it was awesome. That's cool. very cool. <laughs> yeah, transistor.fm if you want to start a podcast. And um, uh, what was I going to say? There's Oh, and if you're interested in the show where John and I were building Transistor, it's called Build Your SaaS. Uh, SaaS is spelled S-A-A-S. And you can just start at episode one and hear the, the real journey as we, as we built it over the last uh, four years. And you can also follow Justin on Learner, I believe. 
as well. Yes, I'm also a learner. I've been yeah. whenever I whenever I'm reading stuff or uh, learning something, I'm trying to post it there too. Right on. Very cool, Justin. Well, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and we'll keep in touch because we have. And uh, yeah. your day. <laughs> uh, this is great. I I I just want to do this every week, just to have a little mail out reunion every sure. week. Yeah, yeah. Pencil us in your Thanks checklist. Thanks so much, Justin. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Okay. This is yeah, great. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Well, John and Greg, what did you guys think of that? Well, that was a lot of fun uh, catching up with Justin again, and uh, and he's got a lot of great insights to share, and uh, I've got a lot of things to think about, and I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed the show. That was super fun. I had a blast. I, I mean, Justin it is is such a character and uh and so genuine and so that was i i, I really feel like we will probably we'll, we'll have to do another episode with justin sometime because there was more to talk about way more about what's going on what he's learned and i'd love to actually dive into even sort of outside of of work someday it'd be kind of fun to do on air too um and i love just his thoughts about about doing startups too around um you know that the, the market defines what you're what you're going to do like you know is there actually demand for for what you're creating and and how to sort of follow those threads uh, uh pretty pretty great stuff for anybody who's uh considering starting a business yeah that was a great analogy about uh sitting on the beach and watching the waves i, I thought that was a really good analogy for people to uh relate to very cool Thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app or want to get in touch, please visit learner with two L's at www.lleaarner.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.